Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn again to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, as we focus this morning on verses 13 through 17. Verses 13 through 17. You remember the game, right? You remember when you all gathered up and you had to divide out and you had to play the game and you had to pick people for the game and all those kinds of things. You remember all that, right? I mean, for some of us, that was one of the most embarrassing and frightening moments of our lives, right? When they were picking teams. I mean, you didn't want to be the last one. You didn't want to be the last person picked to be on this team. How sad it was for those individuals who were the last ones standing as they were hoping to participate in this game. Of course, if you were tall and athletic like I did, I was, I am, never mind, I should say that in the present tense. If you're tall and athletic like I am, you didn't ever have to worry about that. But there were some people that did. And it was a maddening type of thing when they were picking teams, when they were selecting. And you always wanted to pick, again, those individuals that you thought would contribute to your team. Those people that offered a lot. Those people that looked athletic. Those people that were probably smart or experienced in this. You wanted those kind of people. Now look, when you look at Jesus and you look at the people that he has picked, yes, there are those that have gifts. I'm not saying that they do not. There are those that have talents. But when you look at the people that Jesus picks, there are people who are ordinary individuals, flesh and blood, just like me and you. As a matter of fact, even those of us who are here today, how awesome is it that God called us to be on his team? Even though we couldn't even offer him a whole lot, especially, listen, the king of glory the Lord of heaven, all the attributes that he has, all the gifts, all the talents, all the resources, and yet he would choose us to be a part of his kingdom. How incredibly humbling it is. I want to show you again how Jesus comes and how he calls individuals, how he brings individuals into his work. Let's look in Mark chapter 2, and I'm actually going to look at verse 13 this morning because there it sets the stage. It says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. So, get this scene. Jesus is again by the sea, the Sea of Galilee. He's walking around. He's looking at people. He's seeing them go about their everyday activities, everyday business. We've already seen this in chapter 1. Jesus makes these rounds like this. And then he comes back to Capernaum, his headquarter. He rests for a little while. Of course, he entertains for a little while. As people hear that he's in town, they come to him and they hear him speak. He teaches them with a spirit of authority. And then he kind of withdraws again. He goes out and he sees different ones. And he takes these walks by the Sea of Galilee. Now look in verse 14. It says, as he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. So again, Jesus out looking at different people, just ordinary people, people by the sea. He's coming back into Capernaum. And as he comes back in, 
he sees this guy named Levi. Other gospels will identify him as Matthew. He'll be sitting there at this toll booth, this toll house, as he is gathering taxes or tolls for the leader, for the governing officials. In this case, I think Herod Antipas. Now, Capernaum geographically was like seated there between the territory of Philip and the territory of Herod Antipas. So it was one of these natural places to be able to catch travelers on their way so that they could give or they could pay their taxes or their tolls in this case. Also there on the Sea of Galilee, it has been written that they had a fish toll, that they were able to pay tolls based upon the fish that they would catch. Some of us, we wouldn't have to worry too much about that, would we? But there is some evidence that even as those who were out fishing and all of that, they would have to pay tolls to Herod Antipas. So here's Levi, here's Matthew. He's collecting these tolls. He's collecting these taxes. Jesus comes up to him and he says, follow me. Same invitation that was given in chapter 1 to those four fishermen. Follow me. Come after me. Again, it would have been a very recognized invitation to discipleship. As a rabbi would come, a rabbi would say, hey, I want you to come and I want you to learn from me. I want you to follow the road that I'm on. I want you to just seek me. Now, I believe that Levi or Matthew, I believe that this man had heard about Jesus. I mean, if you lived in Capernaum, it's hard not to hear about Jesus, okay? Just as we saw earlier in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus came into the house at Capernaum, people just flocked there. A multitude came because they wanted to see what Jesus was doing. They wanted to hear him teach. I mean, Jesus had gained some notoriety at this point. People knew that he was a miracle worker. They knew he was an excellent teacher. And they wanted to see this Galilean rabbi. They wanted to see this carpenter from Nazareth. So I believe that Matthew... He already had heard about Jesus. He had known about Jesus. He perhaps had heard him teach. He perhaps had seen a miracle that he had performed. Somehow, he already had some type of connection and association with Jesus. So Jesus comes and he says, I want you. I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of my work. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. Now look, as I was reading through this and just kind of trying to uh, work, allow it to work in my heart and life, there are some just general truths that I I see here that that I want to share with you today. And, And these are pretty simple, but you've gotten used to my preaching, haven't you? Pretty simple preaching. I mean, I was kind of working through it, and, and, and it is so simple. I, I mean, I was almost like embarrassed. I told Leslie yesterday, I don't know if I could get up and give such a simple sermon. She said, you have many, many times before. I don't know why you're worried this time. But I mean, it's so simple. When, when I read through this, I recognize, first of all, Jesus calls. And Jesus calls the ordinary folks. Jesus just calls ordinary individuals. Now, we're going to move through it, and you're going to see that he not only calls the ordinary, but he calls the outcast. But at the very beginning, I want you to just hear, Jesus calls ordinary folks. See, I put this in context of that earlier call in chapter 1. 
Because again, Jesus is going out by the Sea of Galilee. He's just looking at folks. He, he's looking around. He recognizes many of these individuals. He knows what their daily activities are. He knows what their vocations. And Jesus extends to them this invitation to come and be a part of his work. Again, in chapter 1, who did he call? Four fishermen. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman in the New Testament world. That was a great way to be able to earn your income. It was respectable. I wouldn't say it was they were part of the social elite. They were just good folks who were making a living for themselves, trying to do the best for their families, out fishing, doing what they needed to do to survive. Yet, Jesus looked at a bunch of fishermen, and he called them to follow him. Here he comes to a tax collector. We'll dig into that in a moment. But here at the surface level, just see a tax collector going about his everyday activity and business. Jesus extends a personal invitation to him to follow. And what's incredible is that both the fisherman and the tax collector immediately follow Jesus. There's something that is inviting about his request. There's something that is encouraging about coming and following Jesus. I mean, again, the fishermen, they're going about their business. Some have said that it was somewhat lucrative, probably had enjoyed success through the years. But certainly Matthew, certainly Levi, his profession was lucrative. There's no doubt. And they leave that to follow Jesus. Why? Because there's something else in this world than just these earthly engagements and activities that we find. There's something more than just going about your work from day to day. There's something more about just seeing the folks around you and, and going through the motions of this world. There's something more. I think when Matthew, when Levi got up, he was hoping and praying that this Jesus that he had heard about, this Jesus that had performed miracles, this Jesus that had taught in such powerful ways that this Jesus would make an eternal difference in who he was. Why would you leave such a business? But again, ordinary folks coming to follow Jesus. Later on, in chapter 3, we'll have the whole list of the apostles. We'll have the full cast set before us. And again, these are not real impressive people by worldly standards, by earthly standards. They're just ordinary folks. I would say to you that they're incredibly ordinary. Does that make sense? They were incredibly ordinary. The rulers will actually recognize this later, especially as the religious leadership looks at, looks at Peter and John. Do you remember what? The religious leaders do how they marvel. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. So even the religious leadership, they looked at this and they thought, are you kidding me? These are the people that are standing against us. And against our ritual, these folks, these are uneducated, these are unlearned. 
these are unskilled people. How could they be standing in such boldness for the kingdom? I think, in a sense, what they were saying was, why would Jesus choose those folks? I mean, couldn't Jesus have chosen those with much better resumes, perhaps much better pedigree? Couldn't Jesus have chosen better? My friends, Jesus knew exactly who he would call. And he called the ordinary people to follow him. Again, that is incredibly humbling. But how incredibly grateful we should be. That God would call us to be a part of his kingdom. Because I hate to tell you this. We are all extraordinarily ordinary. Most all of us. Now, some of you just got your feelings hurt, right? That's okay. You can go home this afternoon. You can get your Joel Osteen fix, and you'll feel a lot better about yourself, all right? You'll feel like you're extraordinary when that happens. But let me tell you from the Scripture this morning, as you look, all of us are extraordinarily ordinary. We are. Again, I try to personally reflect on God's call in my life. And I go back to my personal background and who I am. Growing up there in North Mississippi, in a middle-class family, to a dad that was proud of his work, a union member who came home and worked hard every day driving a truck with the grease and the sweat to prove it daily with a mom who would do the books for the local cotton gin or at some point doing the books for the stockyards. Growing up in that middle-class family, basically being taught that hard work was important, it was essential to our lives, that you were to respect people, that you were to love the Lord with all your heart, that you were to seek Him. Just growing up in that, just ordinary, listen, just ordinary family in North Mississippi in so many ways. Ordinary young guy who went to church, went to Sunday school every time the door was open and the church every time the door was open because my mama had a drug problem and drug me to church all the time. to go to school, to do the things that I did just as any ordinary young man, and to know that one Sunday night, the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of me and spoke to me. In my ordinary kind of life, God spoke to me, and he, recognized, he helped me recognize my sin. And I was able to repent of that sin and come to salvation in Christ. When I look at that and know that he spoke to a 12-year-old ordinary young man, how blessed, how humbled, and how grateful I am. To know that at the age of 16, as I sat on the front pew, that as the preacher preached, as he spoke, as God again worked in my life, 
that I knew that I was called to preach and to share the gospel of Christ, that I knew that he was calling me to vocational ministry, even though I did not deserve it. As a 16-year-old young guy, I was able to stand before the church and say, God has called me, and I want to follow. I say to you, I reflect in my life because I recognize how extraordinarily ordinary I was and how I still am. And most all of us in this place, we could have stories of that ordinary background. And yet Jesus spoke into our lives just as he spoke to Levi. And he said, follow me. Think about that. Jerry, you're ordinary. Pam's patting you on the back saying, you hear that too, right? You are. As I look around... Louise, you're ordinary. I'm sorry to say, I can't believe I said that out loud. I'm sorry, Louise, I'll stick with the guys, I promise you, because most of the guys in here know they're ordinary. Howard Whitlock, you in the gathering, you're more than ordinary, all right? We're ordinary folks, but listen, God loves ordinary folks. If you look at the background of the New Testament, you'll see how Jesus loved the people of the land. That's their designation if you look the people of the land jesus loved them and he went forth in the land to call them i think about it today how jesus would spread across our community calling people to follow him you would walk upon the tech campus and you would find jesus having conversations with people calling them to follow him you would walk upon the high school campuses in our area and you would see jesus there talking and really encouraging people to come and to follow him. You'd be able to go into the grocery store. Super One, County Market, Walmart, I think, yeah, those areas. Jesus would go in and he would have those gospel-centered conversations. You would find Jesus all throughout our community just as he was walking by the sea, as he was looking for people, as he was engaging them in such calls. You would find him today doing that. Let me just say, if Jesus would do that, we ought to be doing that. Don't forget, we are the hands and the feet of our Lord. We are people who are to be going with a message of salvation and life and calling people to follow the one and only, the one and only Savior that can make a difference in who they are and give their work and their life and their relationships eternal perspective. He is the only one. Levi was sitting there. He had been collecting the toll. Again, he had, financially, he had done well in life, but there was something else that was missing. God calls the ordinary. But don't miss this. God calls the outcast. God calls the outcast. Jesus calls the outcast of society, the outcast economically, the outcast socially, the outcast he calls to follow him. Look in verse 15. And now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. So Levi decides he's going to throw a banquet. He's going to have a party. 
Hey, very appropriate here. If you just decided to follow Jesus, it's time for a party, okay? And maybe he was going to verbally announce that, publicly announce it to folks to let them know that he was leaving his former vocation and now he was following Jesus with all of his life. Maybe that's what he was wanting to do. Or maybe he just wanted them to know Jesus. I love the way it's put together, though. You see who's on the invitation list? All the other tax collectors and publicans. All the other sinners. Uh, Dr. Travis at Blue Mountain College used to say, all you got to do is find a sinner and follow him because he'll lead you to a bunch of other sinners. That's all you got to do. And then you can share the gospel with them. Well, only people Levi knew were other tax collectors and the sinners. And, and note how that's put together, by the way. How that's kind of arranged, constructed grammatically. The tax collectors and sinners. You'll see that repeated later on, that same kind of construction. Now, again, when I was in school, I learned that that and is a conjunction, right? A few weeks ago, we sang that together. Remember the little video they used to show in conjunction, function? No, conjunction, junction. Is that what it is? I always mess it up, Leslie. I'm sorry, baby. What's your function? What is this conjunction? Here, something that is equal, something that is basically the same that you are linking together. So you just link together the tax collectors and the, quote, sinners. Some translations may even say something like outcast. It says, the tax collectors and the sinners. Well, it doesn't take you much to realize really how the people of Israel lacked any type of esteem for tax collectors. They hated them. They hated them. They would lump them together. If you go back and read some of the Jewish writings, they would lump them together with murderers themselves, tax collectors. Because tax collectors had betrayed their nation. They had betrayed the people of Israel because they had consorted, yes, with the Romans, or in this case, with Rome's puppet, Herod Antipas. And they would be hated. And also, as we saw just a few weeks ago in Zacchaeus' life, a lot of them, well, a lot of them were corrupt because they had bought these commissions so that they could go and they could do what they were doing. So they had to make up that commission and make more in order to be financially blessed. So they were hated. So here, Levi goes and he throws a party only to those folks that he knows that he He's been friends with. He brings all his friends to the party to introduce them to Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm not trying to run too many side notes, but may I just run this one for a moment? The best place you can introduce Jesus to others is in that natural sphere of influence you already have. Look at this. Those Pharisees and those rabbis, they would not have gotten an invitation or at least they would not have attended to go and to be able to share the good news here in this area, in this place. 
But God called an individual named Levi that had this natural sphere of influence where he could go and he could introduce Jesus to them. And I will say to you, whether it's the school place, the workplace, whether it's your family life, God has placed you strategically where you are so that you can introduce Jesus to those folks. He's placed you there for a reason. So Jesus goes to the party. Jesus loves a party. He's there. He sits together. Literally, it means he reclines. That means there's this intimate type of fellowship that is there. They're having dinner together. Verse 16. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Look, when the verse begins like that, you know you're in trouble. When the scribes and Pharisees see, you can almost picture this. They're not inside eating. They're not having a party. They're not rejoicing. But rather, they're kind of standing out discussing this issue, this practice, this lack of respect for doctrine. Remember, there was an investigative committee that had been sent down from Jerusalem. We'd already seen them in the house. They were trying to figure out Jesus and his teaching. And, and now he is sitting, he is eating, he is enjoying the company of tax collectors and sinners. They actually say, how is it that he eats and he drinks with tax collectors and sinners? How in the world is it that he does this. The Pharisees had really found root. They found their life in separating themselves from people. If you go back during the intertestamental period, you would find out that these Pharisees had grown forth from a sect called the Hasidim, which basically they, they said, we've got to be purist. We've got to separate ourselves. We've got to be ritually pure. And, and it and really began in a good kind of way, but they had so perverted it through the years. And they're looking, saying, how could Jesus ritually defile himself in such a way? Why and how could he eat with sinners? See, there are times in the New Testament that the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not that far off. There are times that they're so close to the truth, it's scary. I mean, they are, hey, they're calling it right. Jesus is there with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. What they couldn't get is, that's the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to call not only the ordinary, but the outcast. To call them into his kingdom. Now, some of you are probably saying... Now, preacher, you better not call me an outcast. Now, there's one thing to say I'm ordinary, but an outcast? You better call no names in this place. In some ways, I understand that we view ourselves as ordinary and not outcast. A lot of us in this place. But may I put it in a couple of perspectives for you here, okay? One, don't forget... We are part of the nations. When you look at the New Testament, we do not find our heritage, most of us in this place, do not find our heritage in the nation of Israel. So what does that mean? We're Gentiles. 
and you want to talk biblically and historically speaking, we're outcast. You don't forget that. Never forget that we were the outcasts brought into the kingdom of God because Jesus Christ loved us and brought the nations because he so deserved the glory of the nations. He brought the nations to himself. You don't forget that you and I, we were on the outside looking in, but Jesus Christ loved us so much that he died not not just for a nation, he died for the world itself. We were outcasts. And if you want to also look at our spiritual state, if you want to look at our lives, folks, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every individual. And because of that, we have, there's a hostility between us and the holy God of heaven. If you want to look at it that way, we're outcast. But Jesus calls us. I, I love this part of it. Every time I read one of these narratives and I see Jesus look at someone and call them, I'm always excited and amazed to know that our God knew everything about these people. He knew all of their backgrounds. He knew all of the things that they had done and how they had fallen short. And he still extended a personal invitation for them to come. Whether it's the Samaritan woman, whether it's Levi. Jesus knew all about their backgrounds and their sinfulness. And yet he still extended the invitation to follow me. To come. And for you and I, he knew all about us. And he still does. He knew every dark thing that we'd ever thought. He knew every dark thing we'd ever done. And he still loved us. And he loved us enough to say, hey, come on. I want you to be a part of my team. Come on. I want you. Knowing who you are, I still want you. Come be a part. Because get this as we close. Jesus will call. And then Jesus will cure. And he will clean. I love this part of it. Because when Jesus hears the complaints of the Pharisees, verse 17, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, I came for those who recognize their need in me. I I think there's just a little bit of a sharpness when he says, I did not come to call the righteous. Almost to the point of like, hey, I know you think you've got it all together and you are self-righteous in who you are. I didn't come for those individuals that are just soaked in their own self-righteousness. He said, I have come for those who recognize that they need something more. Those who are sick. Those are, who are unhealthy. Jesus came as the great physician to bring our cure. Hey, and don't, don't miss this. Do you know how spiritually sick we all are without Jesus Christ? I painted the picture last week of those who are physically sick, and I take nothing away from that issue, from their troubles or their difficulties. But you don't miss this. There is such a spiritual sickness that is pervading over our land. 
that has infected every heart and life. It is something we call sin, where that sin nature ravages us and calls us to things that are unholy and ungodly. But Jesus said, I can't even take care of that. I'm the good physician, and, and, and did he ever. When he died on the cross of Calvary, he took upon the sins of the whole world. He took upon my sin and your sin and all the sin of the world. He took it upon him. He atoned for it. He paid for it. He covered it in his blood so that we could be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. We find healing. He cures us and he cleans us. He cleans us. Hey, to know that Jesus being the great fisherman, remember he had used that analogy of how he was going to make the disciples fishermen? Well, Jesus was the greatest fisherman, and he understood first you caught the fish and then you cleaned them, right? Well, he would extend the call. He would bring them. And yes, at that moment, they could know the forgiveness of their sins, but get this, he continued to work in their life in a sanctifying way to cleanse them. I'm not what I should be, but God loved me so much that he wouldn't leave me where I was. Jesus loves you so much, he's not going to leave you where you are and the way you are. Jesus is going to make a difference in your life and cleanse you. Because the Jesus who calls is the Jesus who cures. And he is the Jesus who cleans. That's what Levi experienced. That's what we can experience if we will humble our hearts and lives to him. I love Matthew's response. When Jesus called, follow me, it said that he arose and followed him. The original language says that was a decisive act. In other words, he made an immediate decisive decision in his life. I'm going. I'm following. And I say to you today that Jesus still wants us to come and follow him. He still wants us to make those decisive decisions, immediate decisions to follow him. And you know, he's not checking your resume. He's not checking your background. I believe this invitation is for all of us who are here that can hear him today. It's for the whosoever will that will come and give their hearts and their lives to Christ he will save those individuals. Because he wants you. And yes, when you go out there and you share the gospel, you, you tell folks he wants them. Just as they are. You can't get yourself right before you come to Christ. You can only see, you can only see how he works in your life after you've committed yourself to him fully. Nobody ever cleans themselves up, right? Only the God above can have the power to cleanse us and to make a difference. Today, I challenge you, I encourage you, if you've never followed him, do that today. Come take me by the hand. Tell me this morning that he is calling you to salvation. For those of you who have, who just need to rededicate, you come and you follow him with everything that you've got, with all your life, with all your heart.
So we pray together. Father, thank you again for today. And God, I pray right now, as we have heard your message, Father, as we have heard your voice speak clearly to us this morning of how you want us to be a part of your team and your kingdom, God, how you are calling to us through your Holy Spirit right now, convicting us. God, I pray that that one that has not been saved, they've never made a public profession. God, today is the day that they would give their life to you. They'd surrender to you here in this place. They'd stop holding back. They'd stop trying to clean up through their own self-effort. But God, today, they would come and experience the power of your son in their lives. That's what we pray. And God, we pray that you would just demonstrate the power of your spirit now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?